0: Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Just a couple of super chats I missed from yesterday. Some great questions. The first from De A. McFarlane said, Steph, I'm looking to get involved in politics. What are your thoughts on civic nationalism? I am majoring in political science, paralegal studies, advice. Well, it's a brave decision and I wish you the very best. Uh, I am glad that there are people out there who are making good decisions about getting into politics. I know that's a bit of a change from my earlier arguments, but uh, yeah demographics uh, has uh, shortened the window in which we can save the west so here's what needs to happen for those of you involved in politics or just in general. So all these cultures are coming crashing in to the West now some of them are coming because they like western values, uh, individualism, universal morality, and so on, and some of them are coming just because they like free stuff now, the way that the West is being broken up and balkanized is because A lot of the leftists and Marxists and you name it,ists, are undermining Western self-confidence by continually portraying white people, Christians, Europeans, and European-derived societies as the great moral evildoers in history. You know, the the rapists, the colonialists, slave owners, slave takers, and so on. Uh, This is all false. Uh, If you really want to look at a slave trade, a slave trading society that was unbelievably brutal, you can look at the blacks in Africa who captured the slaves and sold them to Arabs uh, and and to Muslims. Uh, Muslims in general would castrate the male slaves that they brought over. Only one in ten would survive that horrendous operation. And this went on for a long, long time, far longer than the European slave trade. The European slave trade lasted a very short amount of time, uh, and certainly in terms of blacks. And uh, only a couple hundred thousand, sort of 400,000 or so blacks, were taken to America from Africa. A uh, hundred million or so were taken to the Middle East, and there aren't really any there anymore, so we all know what happened there. So, yeah, the Arab slave trade was about 200 times larger than the European slave trade. Plus, of course, the Arabs took more white European slaves than white Europeans ever took black slaves to America, uh, and millions of, of white slaves were taken. In fact, it got so bad during the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages had a lot to do with Muslim uh, invasion and conquest and control, particularly of the sea lanes, that it became hard for Europeans to live near the sea, because they would constantly be raided by slave ships from the uh, Middle East or the Arabian uh, uh, Arabian countries or Muslim countries. And so, yeah, if you want to start talking about slavery, you can talk about the blacks in Africa who had a robust slave trade. And you can talk about the Muslims. But of course, they don't want to focus on that because there's no money in that. There's no particular guilt or self-remorse or anything like that. Nobody's going to the Muslims to say, where are our reparations for a slave trade that went on and was much more brutal, went on for far longer, was much more brutal than European slave trade and so on. And so for the people who are coming to the West, there may be an impulse for reasons of political power and undermining the West to dismiss the West, to oppose the West. And I'm engaged in these battles on Twitter. You should follow me really on, uh, at Stefan Molyneux. I'm engaged in these battles a lot on Twitter, so, for instance, there's this falsehood that uh, Churchill starved millions of Indians to death, right? I mean, Indians from India, so on. It's all false, right? And, and one of the clues is that uh, this occurred during World War II. So there was some terrible weather, caused bad crop failures. Uh, Indians ate their seed crops and then got really hungry. It was in the Bengal region, I believe. And... There was some frustration from Churchill, for sure. He was in the middle uh, of of fighting a war against the National Socialism and making one of the worst devil's bargains in history, which was allying with the uh, Soviet communists under Stalin. But anyway, uh, he did try and redirect ships that were desperately needed for the war theater to bring food to India, and he did try and save. But of course, you know, there was a lot of corruption in India, as there still is today. And a lot of the bureaucrats in India, the Indian bureaucrats, not the white ones, stole uh, the food, sold it on the black market. It didn't get to the people. And why it is the responsibility of Churchill to feed the Indians uh, is utterly beyond me. But he didn't go in and personally eat everyone's food and (laughs) prevent them from – I shouldn't laugh, but I mean so ludicrous. Churchill starved millions of Indians. Like, nope, Indians are responsible for feeding themselves. And the British came to their aid when there was bad weather and crop failures and bureaucratic corruption and so on. And he did send ships to India. But so just, you know, Churchill, not a perfect guy. Don't get me wrong. But all the Churchill haters will now swarm the comments. But uh, it is, uh, you just have to push back hard. You know, um, whites, uh, European whites, Christians, and and, uh, so on, uh, ended slavery around the world, for the most part. I mean, there's still some slavery in Haiti. There's still some slavery in Middle Eastern countries and so on. But as far as it being a universal institution that, I mean, so white Christians... Participated it in the le- sorry participated in slavery the least, treated their slaves the best, and uh, spent untold amounts of blood and treasure to end the evil practice of slavery worldwide. So naturally, of course, the only people blamed for slavery are whites. It's pathetic. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's historically completely inaccurate, but it's profitable because whites are very self-critical uh, to a fault, in fact, and whites are very morally sensitive, and so. Uh, you know, go go to uh, Saudi Arabia and, and talk about how they've treated minorities in the past or how they treat um, uh, Christians in their own countries. Can you go build uh, a church, a Christian church in Saudi Arabia? Well, why are they so Christophobic, uh, Christianophobic or whatever you want to call it? Um, but anyway, so people bagging on whites, criticizing whites and so on is a coward's hobby. Everybody knows it. And so uh, just stand up for the benefits that whites have brought to the world, the benefits that whites have brought... To science, as I've said before, um, over 95% of the scientific advances from 800 BC to AD 1950 to to long time, really uh, well over 2,000 years, 2,500 almost. No, 2,500 over. So uh, 95% plus. It was about 97% of the advances came from Europe and North America, not including Mexico, and the vast majority were white males. So there's no modern world without white, white males. And that's just a basic fact. I mean, simply the fact that a white male invented antibiotics to save the lives of literally hundreds of millions of non-whites around the world. Can, can whites get a little thanks? Nope. It's just colonialism and exploitation and rape. And there's this fantasy that somehow uh, India is poor because whites stole, someone gave was saying $45 trillion worth of, of Indian wealth. No, it's nonsense. He was actually saying that Indians were not poor in 1600 when it was less than $800 per capita of uh, income that they had in 1990 dollars in 1600 and that's per capita not per productive worker which means you've got to feed a large family on far less than two dollars a day or less than two dollars a day feed and house and clothe and and so on so the idea that there was all this wealth around the world and the whites came and stole it and that's why the whites were rich is not the case Uh, whites became rich because of iq plus free market in general a lot of other factors as well but the ones that predict it the most are iq plus free market if you look at singapore Uh, Well, I talked about this in the live stream, so just defend ferociously the value of white, Western European, largely Christian civilization to the world, and uh, don't uh, don't back down. Don't back down at all. Don't succumb to guilt. Uh, Don't succumb to the sort of pathological self-criticism and altruism that characterizes a lot of uh, Western thinking. Uh, It's the leftover from the self-flagellation of the monasteries, I believe, in the early Middle Ages, but uh, just stand tall and uh, don't back down and don't be bullied into hating your own culture and your own history. So, uh, Faisi said, Do you believe that states are or could be a valid form of collective property analogous to a joint stock company? It seems to me that possessions, property rights, title, and sovereignty are all valid forms of self-ownership. Um, no. no you, you, a state is a collective fantasy that violates the non-aggression principle. That's what a government is. A government is a group of individuals who give themselves a particular label, a series of titles, and uh, then claim the right, nay, in fact, the obligation to violate the non-aggression principle. You, you, you can't reform slavery into the free market. You can't reform rape into lovemaking. You cannot reform theft into charity or earning simply by changing titles and labels. Uh, the, the state exists as... An entity which violates the non-aggression principle, it's immoral. It, is, of course, is destructive as we're all seeing, and you can't do that. Somebody says, Steph, tell us something about yourself. No one else knows. Thanks. I will uh, in, in a sec. It'll come up later. Andrew Thomas said, been donating monthly since 2016. I'm really wondering what happened to the show's format. Like, where's Michael? You two had a great dynamic. Yes, yeah, true. We worked together for a half decade, and uh, it was a really uh, enjoyable. Is a great guy. But uh, I you know you got to change you you have to grow for me and i got a little bit tired of the call in shows i'm still doing some uh and i wanted to get out of the um studio more and i wanted to do more documentaries i've got a bunch in the works and i wanted to do more speeches and so on and when and i'm really not there's not a huge number of people that i really want to interview anymore so there was just less requirement for a producer and so um it was a great and productive relationship, love the guy to death, but uh, he is uh, he has moved on. So the show's format, I ha- you know, I, I definitely want to work for you, but the way that I work for you as well is to stay interested in it myself, to stay interested in what it is that I'm doing myself, and you can see people who don't change formats end up burning out, and listen, I've been doing this for 12 years, and a lot of it has been, you know, call-in shows and interviews and current events and so on and i just wanted to change things up to make my uh, interest level stay the same so uh i am in in updating the format to some degree i am continuing to work for you because uh, otherwise i would get bored to the point where i would either not do a good job or i would just stop doing the job and and do something else that i found more more interesting so I'm trying to stay interested, trying to stay dynamic, trying to stay alert, which is why I'm doing the live streams now and Super Chats and so on like this, which is uh, fun. I used to do YouTube comments way back in the day, but it's been a long time since I did that. And uh, just not a lot of production requirements for these kinds of shows. So, so that's where that is. Uh, Brian has asked, with consideration to the current state of our culture and its future, would you rather raise a daughter or a son? That's tough. That's tough. I, you know, we didn't find out the sex of our child, my, my wife and I, before we had. I first realized this when I was in the delivery room, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful day, great day. Uh, it's tough. There's benefits, costs and benefits to both. And I think that the anti-male attitude of society at the moment makes it very tough to raise a son. On the other hand, statistically, I'm more likely to get a genius with a son than a daughter. Though it certainly could happen. And my daughter is wicked, wicked smat. and so I'm—I was sort of fifty-fifty. There's benefits to both. And uh, now that I've been raising a daughter for over ten years, and it's funny—I was just talking to her the other day. Actually, I never really—I've said, you know, I—I never really think of raising you. Like I never really think of of raising you, because I don't. There's a few course corrections here and there, but you know, it's not—it's uh, not a. Uh, raising situation or guidance is massively needed, because like any more than I needed to really teach her English, I just spoke to her in English and explain a couple of words which she doesn't understand, then she looks stuff up on her own, and now she's blowing through a novel a day sometimes, and uh, I didn't really have to work on teaching her English, I just spoke to her English, in the same way I don't really need to, to raise her or teach her values, because I manifest those values in our daily life, and so she just uh, absorbs them that way, so uh, I, I don't know, fifty-one forty-nine, maybe, preference to daughter? Uh, Phoenix Son said, Defense distributed versus GWAL. 3D guns filed distribution as a First Amendment speech right. It is a Second Amendment case built on First Amendment grounds. Thoughts? 3D guns filed distribution as a First Amendment speech right. Yes, I think that's fine. I think that's great. A rabbit says, Are you an alpha male? Stefan is like, oh, check out the jawline. Yeah, well, of course, but I'm, I'm a more subtle alpha male because most of the alpha males around there are sort of chest beating and driving around in, in sports cars and, and bagging models. And, you know, this sort of endless adolescence of uh, people like Leonardo DiCaprio. They are considered to be the uh, alpha males, but that's not really an alpha male. That's just a hedonist. So wh- who is the real alpha male is the person who influences culture and society significantly. So, yeah, as far as that goes, absolutely. I mean, I have convinced probably over the years 100,000 families to stop hitting their children. Uh, I have convinced people to homeschool, I've convinced people to have children. Uh, I get regularly um invitations to and photographs of people who got married because they met through philosophy and had conversations about values ahead of time and uh, I know that I have significant influence in various political halls, so Yes, uh, as far as uh, having an effect and an influence on the world, which to me is the real definition of alpha, yes. And because it's a positive influence, uh, it's alpha plus virtue. So, Jordan 4270 um, <laughs> had a couple of funny, they weren't super jets, but I just saw them as I was gathering these. They were pretty funny. He said, God damn it, Stefan, Hillary Swank, smash or pass, answer me. And because he had five exclamation marks and it was all caps, I will. So Hillary Swank, very talented actress. i got to tell you, though, this is just a personal taste thing, so it has nothing to do with philosophy, but this is something that nobody knows about me. See, I'm I going to tie this all together. But, uh, no, I have uh, a um, not great attraction to very toothy women. You know, like that FBI uh, woman. Uh, just very toothy women. You know, like you smile and it's like the row of tombstones. Uh, it's the giant chiclet domino teeth. I just... When I kiss a woman and our teeth click, it, I don't know. It's just like I have a couple of things which are just like, ugh, for me. Like there used to be these old... Do- hey, here's something else. Nobody knows about me. There used to be these old duot tanks. I don't know if they still have them anymore, but everyone with tablets. But they had three hole punches, and they'd have these little metal strips that would come up, and you'd just sort of fold them back to hold your papers in place. And every now and then, I would scrape my my nail, particularly my thumbnail against the edge of those. Oh, just gave just gave me the willies. And so... Yeah, toothy women, you know, like uh, um, playing tongue hockey with uh, Jaws uh, does not work for me, though I'm sure she's a wonderful lady. Um, so I, uh, I, I can't do the toothy. I can't do the toothy girls. So, all right. He also said, <laughs> just thought this is kind of funny. He said, Stefan, sometimes I like to dye myself orange, paint myself green, sit in a hole, and pretend I'm a carrot. Is this a win, yes or no? I would say yes, in that you are self-actualizing as a carb-based vegetable, but I would also say that it is a win until, I suppose, somebody comes along who's cosplaying as a giant bunny, and then uh, you're kind of lunch. Uh, somebody wrote, Stefan is all of our dads. And that's an old Tom Likas thing that he people used to call him dad. And it's funny, you know, because, I mean, I'm 52. I still feel like I'm in my 20s, and, and physically I'm I'm doing fine, so, you know, I don't have any aches aches and pains in particular, so... You know, being being dads to people, it's a lovely compliment, don't get me wrong. I think it's wonderful, and I think I can provide some dad wisdom, certainly can provide some dad humor, and so I really, really appreciate that. And it's funny. Here's another thing people didn't know about me. I had a fantasy when I was younger. So with one of the bands that that I really liked, didn't like them when they first came out, was a band called The Police. Uh, You know them, right? So Sting, uh, Andy Sumner, and... The drummer, Stuart Copeland. I actually saw him give a speech uh, once when I submitted a film and I'd made to the Hollywood Film Festival. But um, The Police, I didn't really like the albums when they first came out. And I remember when Roxanne came out and it was played constantly when I was in junior high school, I think, and uh, Zenietta was The airy high vocals were just not doing it for me. And then, I, I can't remember why, I just started to get into the music, went back to the earlier stuff, and really, really liked the, uh, the music. And I used to have this fantasy about, and I don't know why, it was like sitting in this Victorian mansion talking about philosophy with Sting in a turtleneck sweater, like Sting was in a turtleneck sweater. I don't know what I was wearing. And that we would sit there and discuss Dickens and, and 19th century philosophy and so on in a Victorian mansion, and I considered that to be a, a wonderful, positive thing. I suppose he was a bit of a dad to me, in a way, and uh, that, but you know, now I—I I mean, I think Sting is a fairly wretched person in terms of just being. He seems pretty pro-communist and, you know, anti-Pinochet and 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 pro-Russia when uh, Russia was being difficult. And anyway, so it was, um, yeah, pacifist and uh, leftist and uh, uh, not critical of immigration or Islam or anything like that. So he's kind of a cuck, but uh, a great singer, great entertainer, great songwriter. At least he was. I don't know. He hasn't done anything in forever other than some pretty bad musical. But anyway, so I appreciate that. You know, if I can provide some dad wisdom to people, I think that's wonderful. And uh, so anyway, Mr. X-Ray said, Hi, Stefan. I was wondering what your favorite or least favorite coding language to work with is. <laughs> Well, I chickened out of assembly. Well, oh, actually, no. I I did start doing assembly very back in the day. So when I did, when I first did computers, because my school was very primitive, it had a computer lab, but when I first took computer science, uh, I I had to start off by coloring in cards like literally you would color in cards and that time the cards would go off be processed overnight and come back with the results and that's you know i had a computer at home where i was learning how to code and i remember i failed that course so hard i think you could have doubled my marks and i wouldn't have passed just because i just didn't didn't go didn't care didn't whatever right i just thought it was so ridiculous i enjoyed coding at home and yeah, i was creating screen savers and drawing programs i created a um a, a walk around adventure program uh, i created something like zork uh, and uh, did all of that, and I really loved uh, coding. I didn't quite make it to machine-level coding, assembly coding. Uh, oh, I also purvey- uh, I created a space exploration game. I created a game which was basically missile command, but with ASCII graphics on a PET computer with 2K of memory. Like, that's the thing you had back in the day. You really had to worry about memory. Now, you don't have to worry about it at all. There's just so much RAM everywhere. But uh, back in the day, you really had to worry about memory, and we used to have to do things where you'd try and high-load programs above 640K in DOS to free up memory, and that was pretty pretty wild. But way back in the day, my first computer came. It was a, a an Atari. I went with the 800, not the 400, because I wanted the real keyboard, and this was when my grandmother had died and, and left me a little bit of money. My mom did kick in a little bit more, and uh, I was able to buy that computer. It came with 8K of RAM, and I remember taking it up to 32K of RAM by buying... From a guy in a parking lot. Pretty sure it was legit, but it was a guy in a parking lot. 32K of RAM. Cost like, I don't know, 80 bucks, which was all the world back then. Uh, but uh, And I used to go in Saturdays uh, to this uh, computer lab and just, just code all day and, and swap. And and people thought we were playing games and stuff. And no, genuinely, that's what I did. Is I would code. I do remember loving the game Star Raiders on the Atari. a fantastic game. And the guy who made it never made a penny really from it. I, I, it's just some guy who made it. And it was an amazing, amazing... I mean, fit in... It fit in 8 uh, what, eight or 16K. It had a little RAM module that you put in. It was an incredible game uh, for, for all of that. It had player missile graphics and all that. So anyway, I learned to code in BASIC, beginners applied symbolic instruction code. And I know that nobody over the age of 12 is supposed to program in BASIC, but that's what I did. And I loved BASIC and love BASIC. And uh, it got uh, better and better as, as time went along. And I had an Atari 520 ST. And that was my last Atari because it was 800 bucks to buy a hard drive. And, like, it came with the fi- uh, three-and-a-half-inch disks you would put in. I never programmed that because um, I was in, in grad school and I was, I was pretty busy. But I did write my first novel on that. And um, it, was a, it was a good computer, uh, although I always had problems with the mice. It was so frustrating. The mice would just stop working uh, and because it was a rolly-ball mice and... and um, so I had the Atari 520 uh, ST which was a great computer but it was 800 bucks to buy a hard drive and for that I could buy a second hand 286 which I did which already had a hard drive built in and um, didn't again didn't do any coding for quite some time really got back into coding when I started working with access 2.0 which was a Microsoft program back in the day and this is before there was a lot of online tutorials and the, the help stuff wasn't that helpful and there was no type ahead where you Push the dot, and you get the drop-down of available commands. And uh, I just remember, like, learning how to read my first database record, adjust it, and write it back to the database. It took me, like, seven hours straight of just experimentation and trying to work with it. And, you know, after that, I could sort of code in my sleep. So I worked a lot with Visual Basic for uh, Access. Uh, I also programmed something which would generate complex reports in Word. It's called the report generator. Um, so you have data in the database, but um, I wanted, wanted people wanted it to be able to produce complex reports that you could then edit in Word. So I would do remote control of Word and in, insert data as tables and and text and so on. and it was really a great demo situation. And then uh, I started working with some uh, Visual Basic just in terms of uh, having modules to add into the central database program. Then I started working with uh, the uh, the website of uh, Visual Basic. It was ASP.NET at the beginning. I really, really enjoyed that. Just working, creating not just the code, but the interface dynamically was really powerful. And I had, I created a program that would read the database and its forms, right? So the forms were all in access and the, the little boxes you'd type into and the dropdowns and so on. I would scan all of those, and then I would recreate the interface on the web. Uh, the navigation, and the record navigation, and uh, the uh, the saving, and the, the printing, and because I would dynamically create RTF files on the fly, and then send them to the browser. So it was really cool insofar as we could sell the access version for people who had Windows, but then for people who wanted to come in remotely, it automatically generated the interface to the database uh, on the fly. And this worked very well, because we also were able to change the labels. So when we worked with Chinese companies that uh, we were able to uh, very quickly, uh, within a day or two, um, we could uh, produce whether they wanted it in English or Mandarin, we could produce the interface either way. It was really a, a spectacular stuff at the beginning. I also wrote a program that dynamically changed the database based because we had to customize it for each program. So it was really uh, really, you know, not to toot my own horn too much, but really uh, advanced stuff, spectacular stuff. Uh, and I really did enjoy creating code to change code creating code to change interfaces and all that that to me was really cool and uh, helped a lot in terms of getting systems out in a reliable manner like all of the reports were created on the fly were created programmatically and it was query by form was a big thing so you bring up a mirror of the existing form you type stuff in you hit apply and then you can um, uh, query underlying data so um I'm sure that's pretty obvious, right? So if you want to search for uh, all of your underground storage tanks in Alabama, then you'd go to the underground storage tank screen, you'd hit the QBF query by form, and I would dynamically create a form on the fly that you could use to query the underlying data. And uh, I had other code where if you double-clicked on any date field, it would bring up a calendar, which you could use to enter dates. If you double clicked on any number field, it would bring up a calculator that you could use to to calculate. And then when you applied it, would bring the date or the data back down. Anyway, I could talk about this stuff all day because I was very very proud of all that coding, and that's the reason why we sold this system. Well, it started the first system sold for five hundred thousand dollars, and then we were selling systems for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think the biggest, most expensive system went for over a million. And, you know, I, I had a, um, a whole bunch of coders and, and all of that, all of, a lot of whom were really, really smart and, and hardworking, but I did the bulk of it, and uh, it was just lovely. I mean, I loved coding, and I still do love coding. The last thing I did was a wizard that allowed you to create your own XML file to uh, query. Like, if you liked the historical shows, you could get those. If you liked the, shows, uh, the call-in shows, you could just get those. And um, I just I just loved it. It's It's such a wonderful cathedral of logic and reason and cause and effect and speeding things up is wonderful and uh oh it's just just delicious and uh it was great you know we had real challenges we had like complex uh data structures and queries and then we had a company that needed to store everything historically that was changed for audit reasons and so I created code that created tables from the queries and then took things from the form right before the update, dropped all the old values into the table that mirrored the queries, and then put all of the values from the fields into the actual tables. And uh, that kind of intercept and, and having it automated, when I could automate something, I get, it's a complete thrill. When I could speed something up, I get this complete thrill. It's really quite addictive. So, um, yeah, so I'm a Visual Basic guy, I guess you could say for the most part. So I hope that helps. Um uh, Anna Wallstein says, "Can we bring our governments to court because my country is not a safe place anymore?" Uh, yeah, well, I think you can. I think you can try, but uh, it probably won't do very well because uh, the um, uh, the uh, the courts are run by the government, so it's kind of tough. All right, uh, what do we have here? Oh, thoughts on Elon Musk and Tesla? Yeah. I mean, Elon Musk is a smart guy, and uh, he's from South Africa, I think, rightly. Um, I'm not a big fan of of, uh, – didn't he smoke drugs on on Joe Rogan? Like I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff because you kind of want to give your investors – like the investors are the people that you work for. And so you kind of want to give the investors some confidence in you, and I don't think that that's a a particularly great way to go. Does Stefan smoke tobacco? No. Uh, My only drug really is caffeine. Uh, And I have maybe two cups a day, max, maybe two and a half. Uh, And uh, that's sort of, uh, because if I have too much, uh, uh, if I have too much uh, caffeine, I get a little (laughs) little jumpy and it's not particularly uh, enjoyable. So uh, let's see here. Let's just see what else we have in terms of questions that I may have missed. Stefan so Molyneux, were you disappointed to be overlooked for the lead role in the Freddie Mercury movie? Uh, no, uh, not not really. Um, I, I can't possibly. Like, my legs are fairly muscular. Uh, I do a lot of uh, – my, 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 my exercise of choice for cardio is a bike machine just because, you know, it's easier on the joints and uh, it's good for heart rate and I can read or watch something or maybe play a tablet game or something because it's kind of boring. Just <laughs> right? So uh, my legs would never be that thin. Um and uh, it's not uh, something that – obviously, it was kind of a joke question, right? But uh, what are you trying to say about my teeth? Oh, I pay my dues. So um, uh, let's see. Uh, Dan L. said, doesn't history show that democracy and libertarianism are incompatible? Once the franchise is universal, people just vote for ever larger government. Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, so it used to be you had to be a white property owner, white male property owner, in order to vote. Because they, they said, I mean, the, the founding fathers were very clear about the lessons of ancient Greece and ancient Rome. The democracy is, is, is disastrous as a whole. And so the reason why they said you had to be a property owner is to said if, if you give the vote to everyone, then the poor outnumber the rich. So the poor will just take away the property of the rich and everybody will end up poor. That's the way things work. And uh, yeah. I mean, certainly it, it doesn't make sense if you're not a taxpayer to have the vote. It's called the conflict of interest. Can you objectively vote on the welfare state if you believe that your very livelihood and the lives of your children are dependent upon the continuation of the welfare state? Well, no, of course you can't. So, but, of course, government runs on conflict of interest. That's basically how, how things get done. Uh, Fatarska said, can you explain the UPP argument against SALT and explain why it doesn't apply to hate speech, e.g. speech? People didn't consent to hearing. I don't know what that means. Speech people didn't consent to hearing. I mean, if you're on the subway and there's an announcement, if you're at the airport and there's an announcement about some flight that's not yours, is that hate speech? Speech people didn't consent to hearing? I don't know what... And that's not the definition of hate speech, as far as I understand it. There isn't really a definition of hate speech other than if it offends those who aren't white and male, uh, then it's called hate speech. The UPB argument against assault, um, so I have a scar on my neck from surgery to remove a tumor uh, that was on my salivary gland on my left side under the jaw. Now, if somebody had just stabbed me in the neck, that would be assault, but because I consented to it, uh, it was surgery. So assault is when you don't want someone to violate you, quote, physically, right? And so assault cannot be universally preferable behavior because Assault has to be something you don't want to have happen. If assault is universally preferable behavior, it ceases to exist as a a category because everybody wants to hit and be hit at the same time. But if you want to be hit, you know, fight club style, hit me, right? If you want to be hit, it's not assault. Like there's times in which you can consent to being hit or at least reasonable expectations of being hit. Like if you play hockey, you might get thumped up against the board. There might be a fight. People don't get charged with assault. If you're in a boxing ring, of course, or you're doing taekwondo or... Karate or something like that. Oh, that's a pretentious way of saying it. What was that, from friends? Anyway, so assault has to be something that one person doesn't want. Therefore, it can't be universally preferable behavior. I don't know what it means in terms of hate speech, but hate speech is not uh, assault. Uh, People can publicize their opinions and so on, and you can always avoid those opinions. You can mute people. You can block people. You can stay off particular sites. You can avoid that kind of stuff. And if you don't avoid it, like if you go into a public forum, and there's speech there that you don't like. I don't really know how you can be bothered. You know, like if you are standing uh, in a um, – you're, you're peeing, right? You go – you're a male. You go to the urinal and you're peeing and some guy presses up against you. That's kind of creepy and, and weird and nasty and, and you would want to tell him to not do that, Right. On the other hand, if you're on the subway and someone presses up against you in rush hour, particularly if you've been wedged in there by those little Japanese people who look like croupiers shoving people into subway cars, well, then that's sort of like that's the price you pay for not having a car, right? So you save a lot of money by not having a car, but one of the negatives of not having a car is during rush hour, you will be squished up against other people, and that's just the way it is. There's this old comedian, this woman, who said... uh, Something about traveling on the New York subway. She said, "Well, now that our groins have been mashed together for forty-five minutes, you want to start a family?" <laughs> kind of funny. So that's just a re- like. So if you go onto the subway, you can't say, "Listen, man, you're violating my personal space," but you can certainly say it in uh, when you go into the washroom, right? Uh, when you're peeing at a, a urinal. So this basic reality that if you go into a public space, you may. Be exposed to arguments or perspectives that you don't like but that's the inevitable result of going into a public space space like if you go to a rock concert can you really complain that it's loud if your neighbors playing music that loud then you can complain and uh what was it someone in england was repeatedly playing whitney houston's oh gosh what was it uh not the children or your future one but the other one from the bodyguard oh the old dolly parton song um I will only be in your way. Uh, I, I will always love you. Don't worry, I'm not going to break into it. But so, and and that person ended up going to jail in England for repeatedly playing that song at high volume. For seven days they went to jail because it was really bad for their neighbors. That's kind of abuse, right? So, but it, so if you, but if, when Whitney Houston was alive, you went to see the concert, she's going to sing that song. It's going to be pretty loud. You can't put her in jail for playing that song loud, right? So, There's just environments where you go and it's kind of understood. Like you don't have to sign a contract. Like you have to sign a contract for your cell phone, but you don't have to sign a contract when you go into a store that says, I'm going to buy things, not steal them. It's kind of understood, right? It's kind of understood. And in a restaurant, you don't sign a contract that says this meal is not free. I promise to pay for it. It's just understood. And you don't pay ahead of time. You pay uh, at, at the end, right? It's just the way things are, but you're expected to pay. Uh, and you don't sign a contract when you go and take gas. You understand, right? So there's just things that are reasonably understood. If you're in a public space where people have free speech, then you're going to be exposed to things that are offensive, things that are unpleasant, things that are nasty. Uh, You know, like I find the term white privilege to be horribly offensive. Uh, I find endless accusations of white racism and slave-owning colonialism and so on uh, and how negative and horrible it all was only and always and forever directed at whites rather than, say, other groups, other racial groups, other ethnic groups, other religious groups. I think it's horrible. I, I think it's re- reprehensible. I think it's disgusting, and I would not want it censored at all, <laughs> right? So that's an important consideration. There's no UPB uh, against uh, against freedom of speech. All right. Let's do one or two more. Harambe Jr. said, was wondering if you could do a debate with Jay Dyer on the validity of God. He's a formidable debater, and I think it would definitely add... To the conversation and your resume. Yeah, I've had a couple of invitations to debate the existence of God, but um, I'm not. It's really, really old hat for me. Like, I kind of started off with this hard atheism, this strong atheism, and I've written books and I've done endless videos on it and so on. I really don't want to revisit all that stuff from years and years ago. Like, I'm sorry, I just at some point, even the bare naked ladies don't want to play Enid one more time. So, and, and also I have a much more positive relationship with Christianity than I did uh, in, in the past so i'm um, it's not something that i really would would want to do devon spittle <laughs> i assume an, an aka do you ever feel like wilson from home improvement when you help people on your calling show thanks for all your hard work so that's um you didn't you just see the hat from the guy and um gosh buzz lightyear tim allen a ridiculous amount of charisma a very funny guy and, um, no, no, not at all. Uh, I am incredibly honored that people call me in for advice on, on significant issues in their life. That is an incredible gift to me. Uh, I take that honor, that vulnerability, that all of that with in- incredible seriousness. And so, uh, no, I, I never feel that at all. I did, you know, when I was doing, you know, four hour calls a week, uh, with people, uh, it did get, that's just, that it just wasn't the format. So now I do do it once, uh, one-on-one and, uh. And so on, so And those shows it's funny because those kind of call-in shows, with very, very few exceptions, like "Debate with the Flat Earth" Guy," not popular on YouTube, very popular on uh, podcast uh, downloads. It was tough to stop the call-in show because uh, it is the most popular thing in the, uh, in the podcast downloads. But the other thing too is, like, I've got more than 500 of them in the past. They're not hugely time-sensitive, so if you like those, you can go find them pretty easily. So no, I'm, I'm incredibly honored that people trust me with um, uh, feedback on their most sensitive issues. Mark Payne says, I'm depressed. Should I try to get happy before trying to get rich or vice versa? What's your opinion on happiness versus usefulness? Yeah, oh. uh, depression. You might be depressed. Like, you know, when I, I, I tweeted last night that if you're isolated, if you're lonely, uh, it's as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I mean, it's really, really bad for your health. And so someone said, oh, I guess that just cures my crippling social anxiety and so on. So depression, social anxiety, the first place that I would suggest looking is not within yourself, not necessarily even within your history, just in your immediate social environment. Your friends, your family, extended family and so on. Maybe your work, maybe you're depressed or maybe you're just surrounded by horrible people. Maybe you're socially anxious or maybe you're just surrounded by dangerous people. And the first thing you can do, like you want to take the environmental aspects out of things to begin with. And... That's really, uh, really important. Uh, There's an old, uh, I think it's from Charles Dickens from way back in the day, where he said, you know, you you could have existential angst or you might just have trouble digesting a bad potato, you know. And so when it comes to negative emotional experiences, the first thing that I would do is, is look at my social environment. And it took me a long time for me to learn this, but I want to pass that wisdom along, I guess, kind of dad style. No, look, at, try, try and clean up your social environment first. Uh, if there are people who are negative or horrible to you or don't believe in you or ignore you or, or ignore anything deep or valuable about you, then try and fix those relationships. If you can't fix those relationships, um, then you have a choice. You can choose to be uh, depressed as the result of being around negative people or socially anxious because you're around dangerous, hostile or indifferent people. And you can accept the negative emotional experience in return for the pretense of a relationship. Or you can say, I'm striking out across the desert to find better companions, which was certainly my approach. And I've literally almost never looked back. I have no regret. No regret at all. I just wish I had done it sooner in my life. So I would would work on your social circle first and uh, figure out how, how do people around you make you feel? How do they react to you being unhappy? Do they sit down and help? Do they try and figure things out? Or do they just laugh at you? Do they ignore you? Do they what, what? So I would focus on on all of that first. James Murphy said, "Since monthly income tax receipts are needed to service debt, what if 25 percent of the makers decided it, to take three to six months off from work? How long till government yells uncle?" Well, it would be very quick. Uh, it would be very quick. But um, getting people to do that is uh, always, you know, always always a challenge. Uh, Chris Nugent. He said, I have three rules of virtue. I would like your input. Am I missing something? I tweeted a link to you. Not sure of a better way to communicate. Thank you for your work. I'm sorry that I missed that in the chat. I missed that um, in the super chat and uh, just um, uh, my email is on the website, freedomainradio.com and you can uh, uh, you can uh, uh, send it to me there and I, I will try and get back to you and I'm, I'm sorry for that. So listen, thanks everyone so much. Really, really appreciate uh, everyone dropping by. It's, yeah, it's just it's lovely and wonderful to chat philosophy with you guys and If you find this kind of stuff valuable and helpful, I really, really would appreciate it if you would help out the show at freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Absolutely essential. It's very helpful. If you want to see some of the value that I produce from that, you should go to um, fdurl.com forward slash Poland to check out my documentary on Poland. It's really, really uh, excellent. It will, will change your life. It certainly changed mine. So thanks, everyone, for all of your support. Love you guys to death. I'll talk to you soon.